Welcome to The Kick in the Cast, the audio blog of a wannabe podcast novelist. My name's Chris, and this is episode 13. Hello, and welcome back to The Kick in the Cast. Today, I've got chapter 12 of Outcast for your listening pleasure. And as always, if you're listening to this on the original Outcast podcast feed, I'd encourage you to subscribe to this new show over on podchaser.com or at the show's website at kickit.yo5.ca. But for now, let's get into Chapter 12 of Outcast. Outcast, a novel, written and read by Chris Fitzton. Chapter 12 I never thought I could become so detached from time by something as simple as a conversation. Thinking back on it now, I'm not sure if it was the conversation itself or the simple act of conversing I found so enthralling. I hadn't had the chance to really talk with anyone since leaving the hospital, and even my chat with Cyrus hadn't been all that fulfilling. Cyrus had been more of a listener to my story up to that point, but he hadn't said much about himself. That night with the cougar, though, I realized just how much I'd missed the simple act of talking to someone and interacting with them. I learned a lot about her that night, and most importantly, I finally learned her name, Teki. I also learned that she wasn't a native of Shanto. In fact, she was from a country far across the Northern Sea, where the influence of Bengalis's so-called modern age had yet to be fully embraced a land called Tanaya. Imagine a world where time mostly stood still for the past few thousand years, and you would have a fairly good idea of what Tanaya was like. Setting foot on Tanayan soil was akin to taking a massive leap back in time to when the time of the Ascensions was less a legend and more of a tangible, if distant, memory. Vast expanses of rolling prairie land dominated most of the country, marred only by a few small cities and villages. To the far north, the massive Etnala mountain range marked a natural boundary between Tanaya and the tundra lands of Moshala and Freyal. Tanaya had been slow to embrace the benefits of interstellar commerce to the point where, compared to Shanto, they seemed almost primitive. While some dismissed them as such, many Shantoans tended to look at the Tanayan way as simpler. Of course, it was easy to say that while sitting in an overstuffed armchair watching a documentary about Tanaya on the telescreen. Tiki was a member of one of the many nomadic tribes that roamed the open lands of Tanaya. Vast herds of Kel roamed those lands too, and the tribes tended to follow them, hunting them for their meat and pelts. It was a hard life. From dawn until dusk, her tribe was abuzz with activity. Everyone contributed to the tribe in their own way, which was necessary for survival. The hunters would set out early in the morning, often returning with one or two kel carcasses in tow. Those who didn't hunt would then set to work on those carcasses, taking as much from them as possible. Flesh became food, hide became clothing, and the bones became things like tools, trinkets, and in some cases toys for the young. When it came to the subject of her exile, though, Tiki seemed evasive. 
I didn't push it, figuring that even after so long away from her homeland, the memory of how she came to be in Shanta was still a painful one. In truth, it didn't really matter to me how she arrived here. The fact was, she was here now, and she was under my care. After that, who knew? I remember feeling a little cheated when I thought about that week. I'd finally gotten to know a bit about this enigmatic cougar who'd literally fallen into my lap, and I only had a few short days before there would be no reason for her to stay. In the back of my mind, I wondered briefly if it would have been better if we'd remained at odds for that second week. It would have made our parting of the ways that much easier. Unfortunately, that wasn't the case. With the tension between us gone, a journey now started that could eventually lead us to becoming, well, friends. Then, of course, there was the whole little peck on the cheek from earlier that night. That had been something completely unexpected. Was she just being friendly, or was there something more behind it? I was just about to ask about it when she turned to the window, and I saw her amber eyes go wide. Gods, she said, the hint of a giggle in her voice. We talked all night. I followed her gaze, and sure enough, I could see through the window that the sky was indeed beginning to lighten. We should get some sleep. I yawned in agreement and headed over towards where Tiki's medicine was. As she settled on her mat, I brought the cup over to her. She drank it quickly, scowled at the flavor, and then held out the cup for me. As my hand wrapped around it, my fingers brushed up against hers. An awkward silence passed between us in that moment. I wasn't sure of what to do next. Was I supposed to just take the cup, or should I... Thanks, she said quietly. She brought her other hand up to my muzzle and stroked it gently. For everything, Dallin. Thank you. Like the kiss earlier, her touch made my entire body tingle with, well, I really didn't know. As it was, I tried to savor that touch as much as I could, but it didn't last very long. She pulled her hand away from my face and let go of the cup at the same time before lying down. It didn't take long before she was fast asleep. I pulled her blanket up to her neck, and I heard her sigh softly. I must have looked like a fool at that point sitting by where she lay, doing nothing but smiling goofily at her. In truth, I didn't know how else to act. I mean, I wasn't naive in the ways of love, but there's a dramatic difference between imagination and reality. In any dreams I'd had of Shiana and I, particularly about our wedding night, everything was perfect. I would carry her over the threshold to our new home, both of us drunk on wine and our love for each other. Our hands knew exactly where to be and how to move, as though we'd rehearsed it a thousand times before. Our lips and hands found all the places on each other that made us moan and mule in pleasure, and when we finally consummated our marriage, there was no hesitation or awkwardness. I knew exactly how I would feel, and how I would make her feel as we moved together in our primal dance of love and lust. When it was over... The night would cover us in its darkness as, one by one, the candles burned out and we would fall asleep in each other's arms, warmed by our love and the prospect of our blissful life together as husband and wife. Now, as I sat watching Taki sleep, I realized that I knew nothing. 
If a mere touch was enough to make my mind go sideways, then what would have been my reaction to Shiana? If I couldn't stop smiling from a mere peck on the cheek and a stroke on my muzzle, then how would I act after a lust-soaked kiss? A fleeting vision of my head exploding danced over my mind, and I couldn't help but chuckle. I yawned again and realized any answers I wanted would not come tonight. I gave Taki one last look before turning towards my own bed and crawling under the blanket. It didn't take long before sleep overtook me and gently lifted from me the burden of all my questions and concerns, before replacing them with a nightmare. I was being led down the center aisle of the temple like I had before, but instead of my family remaining silent, they were all shouting, uttering curse after curse at me as I was dragged towards the altar. Others were there too. All the people I'd ever known and loved, all hurling whatever obscenities they could at me. The walk seemed to take forever, and when I finally reached the altar, it wasn't Sarath and the council I faced. Instead, Kaon himself stood before me, glowering me with utter contempt in his eyes. To his left, Ratal stood there, also glaring at me from behind his mask. His crimson eyes felt like they were burning into my soul. I tried to look away, or at least avert my eyes from viewing the divine, but whoever was holding me forced me to look straight at the altar, a blade pressed firmly to my neck. Kaon started shouting at me, uttering words in a language I'd never heard before. I tried again to look away, but my only other alternative was to stare at Ratal, and his gaze did nothing but chill me to the bone. Suddenly, Kaon drew forth his sword and struck at me much like father had. However, the blade cut far deeper than before. For some reason, my arms were no longer bound, and I tried desperately to cover the wound with my hands. It did little, and I watched in horror as my blood spilled out onto the floor, forming a pool before me. Then, out of that pool rose three shapes. Within moments, they finally took form, and I reeled as the three servals I'd buried only a few days before now stood in front of me, covered in blood. My blood. The three of them all stared at me, contempt in their eyes. The eldest one, the one who died first, pointed her finger at me accusingly. The other two followed suit just before Kaon roared out in rage and swung his sword again, this time at the three servals. The moment his blade touched them, they exploded into sprays of blood that covered my body. I could taste it on my tongue. I could feel it as it stung my eyes. When my vision cleared, I saw that Ratal had also drawn his sword and together patron and god moved towards me, blades raised. And then, just when I felt their steel cut into me, I woke up. My chest scar was throbbing so violently I thought I'd ruptured it. Luckily, that wasn't the case. My heart was pounding, and try as I might, it felt like I couldn't take in enough air. As a cub, I'd had nightmares before, but none as vivid as that. After a few minutes, I tried to lie back down, but the thought of reliving that same nightmare kept my eyes from closing. I knew how I'd feel if I didn't get at least a couple of hours of sleep. Yet no matter how I tried, 
The second I closed my eyes, I could feel that vision from the deepest of hells rising up again. I rolled onto my side after a while and looked at Taki. She looked so peaceful lying there, and I had to admit I felt a bit jealous of her. At the same time, though, I felt relieved that I'd been silent throughout my entire ordeal. Maybe it was foolish pride or ego, but I didn't want her to have to worry about me. She was the sick one here. She was the one who needed to recover. I was her caregiver. I didn't have time to be sick. Huh. If only that kind of stubbornness could have worked with respect to my want of sleep. I tried forcing my eyes closed with those last thoughts in my head, but it didn't help. Instead, I ended up lying on my side, watching Teki with increasingly jealous eyes as she continued to sleep peacefully. As I watched her, I started thinking about our conversation earlier, and how it all began outside by the grave. I felt a small smile creep onto my muzzle as I recalled the sensation her little kiss had given me, as well as the lingering touch on my cheek just before she fell asleep. Her touch had been so gentle, so affectionate. My insides felt warm just thinking about it. My eyelids began to grow heavy once more, and this time I didn't try to fight it. Instead, I kept the memories of Taki's affections in my mind for as long as I had conscious control over it, and when sleep finally claimed me, it did so without dredging up those hellish visions. The next two days were blissfully normal, something for which I was thankful. After the week I'd had, both as a dock worker and a Lautari student, I was grateful to have a few days just to decompress. Had Teki's mood not changed when it did, I'm not sure how I would have survived another week of either ordeal. We spent most of our time outside, Teki growing tired of staying in the dwelling all this time. She still had a week's worth of treatment left, and she was still weak, but that didn't stop her from trying. Often during our walks, we would have to stop and let her rest, as she was prone to dizzy spells and the like. Once it passed, we would continue as though nothing happened. During these explorations, we were lucky enough to stumble upon more berry bushes and wild grapevines, which would help in the food department for the next little while. The camp meal supply was getting a little low, and I knew my payday wasn't for a few more days. In truth, I wasn't looking forward to having to live off half-ripened fruit for any length of time. But it wasn't looking like I had a lot of choice. A trip to Junktown for an evening meal was out of the question because of Tiki's condition. An attempt to make it to that warehouse would be a suicide run. It was during the day before I had to return to work that things took a turn. At the time, I couldn't say if they were for the better or not. Truthfully, I still can't. What I do know is that in one moment, things in my life changed and I realized just how complex things had become. Being outside did wonders for Tiki's spirits. Though her body was still weak, she insisted that she was feeling better. We would stay outside for as long as she could before her body finally insisted that she relax. On her last day, she pushed herself harder than before. In fact, on our last excursion, we made it to the tall hedgerow that marked the border of my former clan's estate. I must have been staring at that border a bit too hard. 
When to keep motion for us to continue, she had to give me a bit of a shake. I wasn't even aware of the tears falling from my eyes until she gently wiped them away. It was funny in a sense. My clan abandoned me. They cast me out for basically not dying a year ago. Yet, despite my anger at them, I missed them. I missed my life before all this. I wanted so badly to pull at those hedges just a little to peer beyond them. If I did, would I catch a glimpse of one of them? What then? Could I stay silent or would my emotions make me do something foolish? Looking at Teki as she wiped my tears away, I reminded myself that she still needed my help. There was no time for me to act like this. It would do her recovery no good if her caregiver were little more than a blubbering mass of fur curled up in the corner. I thanked her for her help, and together we melted back into the forest. The hours passed by as we combed through the wooded area bordering my former clan's land. We rested when Teki had to, and we managed to keep well fed on what we found in the woods. As time went on, though, her rest periods became longer. I noticed this and suggested we start heading back, but she was determined to spend as much time outside as she could. I should have been more insistent, but admittedly, I was enjoying our time together like this. I feared our growing closeness would end when we returned to the dwelling. I should have seen it coming. One moment we were walking side by side, and hand in hand, and the next I noticed her begin to pull on me. I turned just in time to see her knees begin to buckle. I quickly pulled her up and into my arms, clumsily carrying her to a place where she could sit down. Her legs were shaking violently, and had I not been weight-trading with Krasa the week before, I wouldn't have recognized what was happening. She'd finally hit her limit, and she was now paying the price. What's happening to me? she asked. Dallin? The look in her eyes told me she was fully and utterly terrified. I knelt before her and placed my hands on her shoulders. It's all right, I said. It's okay, you just overdid it, Teki. It'll pass, just... She wrapped her arms around me and held me in what felt like a death grip. Her breathing came in short, panicked gasps, and I could tell she was trying hard not to cry out. On reflex, I returned the embrace, all the while whispering to her the way a mother would comfort a kitten who had just had a bad dream. She buried her muzzle in my neck, and I could hear her begin to cry softly. Like when I left her that one morning, the sound of her crying made my heart sink. Gods, I should have been more insistent. I should have carried her back to the dwelling against her will, damn it. Instead, here I was, cradling this cougar in my arms as she wrote out the after-effects of overexerting herself. After about a half hour, her shaking subsided. Her cries faded to soft whimpers, and eventually we loosened our holds on each other. Now it was my turn to wipe the tears from her eyes, and her muzzle twisted into a smile, which caused more tears to fall. Thank you, she said softly. Thank you for everything, Dallin. It's been my pleasure, I said. She brought her hand up to stroke along my muzzle, and this time I covered it with my own and closed my eyes, savoring the feeling of her touch. I nuzzled her hand hard, 
fearing it would be one of the very few affectionate gestures to come my way. My fears, it seemed, were unfounded. I tilted my head slightly, bringing her hand towards my lips and kissing it gently. I felt her tense slightly, and I thought she was going to pull away. Instead, she leaned in towards me, and I felt myself begin to do the same. The moment our muzzles met, I thought my head was going to explode. Any thoughts of Shiana, carnal or otherwise, instantly vanished from my mind with that one kiss. My hands ran down her arms, and I slowly collected her into my embrace. She yielded to me, and before long we were clinging to each other tightly, muzzles locked to each other and our tongues battling clumsily. I had no idea what I was doing, but she seemed to, so I just followed her lead. She started purring loudly, making me moan in response. Our bodies seemed to resonate as we continued to kiss. Now, being a male just on the verge of his coming of age and kissing someone for the first time, my body's reaction was as expected as it was predictable. I tried to be discreet, but she wasn't having it. She began to lie on the ground, and I followed, not wanting to break what our muzzles were doing to each other. Before long, I was atop her, hearing her moan slightly as my weight pressed down on her. When the kiss finally broke, I realized I hadn't been breathing the entire time and gasped loudly. She giggled at that, but she was heavily breathing herself. Her laughter was infectious, and before long we were both laughing quietly. Even though our embrace relaxed somewhat, Taki's hands didn't seem to be in a hurry to go anywhere. Wow, was all I could really say. She craned her neck up and gave me another light kiss before letting out what felt like a final sigh. You've been so mature, she said. I almost forgot your age. I blushed. During our all-night conversation, I told her my true age, and that my coming of age was still a week away. She was one year past her own, so if anyone had caught us in this position, she could have been arrested for molestation of a minor. I looked at her sheepishly, realizing that she could have torn my clothes off and ravaged me into another coma, and I wouldn't have cared. However, exiles though we were, we still had a sense of morals about us, and we reluctantly separated. Sorry, I muttered, brushing the dirt and dead leaves off her back. Guess I'm still a cub at the mercy of his hormones. Of course, I was lying about being sorry. The feeling of her in my arms like that made me feel, well, complete. Taki responded to that by turning back towards me and planting another soul-searing kiss on my muzzle. I tensed for a moment, but then melted into her embrace once more. When the kiss finally broke, she stared into my eyes with a look of such deep sincerity it was almost unnerving. Don't feel sorry, she said. And don't ever be ashamed of your feelings, no matter where they take you. She didn't let me go until I nodded in understanding of what she was saying. I guess we should be heading back, I said. I helped her to her feet, but she still leaned against me. It'll probably be dark by the time we get there. Can you walk? I think so, she said, taking a few tentative steps. I saw her tense, though, as her left leg began to shake. 
She cursed under her breath as she leaned against a nearby tree. I'm sorry, she said, her voice cracking again. I merely smirked. Without a word, I scooped her up into my arms. She let out a quick mule of surprise, but it didn't take long for her to settle against me. With my implants, she was as light as a feather in my arms, though I can't imagine a feather ever looking as beautiful as she did. There we go, I said. Problem solved. She leaned her head against my shoulder and closed her eyes as I made my way down the path that would take us back to the dwelling. Towards a place that was fast becoming a home. Sure enough, the sun had set by the time I saw our destination. The dwelling seemed to emerge out of the growing darkness the closer we got to it, like some apparition materializing before us. It felt as if once inside and behind the closed door, Taki and I would somehow be swallowed up by it, protected from not only the elements, but by anyone and anything out there bent on destroying us. Even though the Shatlia knew where this place was, and even though the rather flimsy lock on the door could easily be broken, the dwelling still felt like an impenetrable fortress that could withstand the charge of the largest of armies. It felt like home, and the reason for that was still sleeping soundly in my arms. She'd slept through the entire journey back, her body desperately needing to rejuvenate itself after working so hard. While it made the walk back a little on the boring side, it also gave me a lot of time to think. Taki's kiss had been as unexpected as a blow to the muzzle, but it felt as right as fate to me. It had come completely out of nowhere, yet when our lips touched, it felt natural, as if we'd been intimate for years. For the entire walk back, my brain had worked overtime to try to make sense of the feelings racing through me. My lips were still tingling from the sensation and more than once I wanted to just close my eyes and let my mind wander back to those moments together. I had reacted the way any male would to such things, but there had been something else. It had felt as though a great weight was missing from my shoulders the moment we'd kissed, allowing my heart to swell up with... Love? Everyone talks about love at first sight, though nothing could be further from the truth. No one's heart swayed that easily, and if it did, then they were either foolish or desperate. Love was something one grew into, wasn't it? Love grew from being around someone so long that you couldn't imagine your life without them, didn't it? Don't feel ashamed, she'd said. Ashamed? I was scared out of my stripes with what I was feeling. I looked down at her sleeping form. I felt thankful she wasn't awake to return my gaze or ask me if I was all right. In truth, at that moment, I wouldn't have known what to say. Love? Was it possible? Had I fallen in love with her? She began to stir slightly, and I was able to dismiss my earlier thoughts as her eyes finally opened. We're here, I said softly. She yawned and nuzzled my shoulder. Mm, do I have to get up? She said tiredly. I wanted to say no. I would have been more than happy to simply prop myself up against the wall of the dwelling and keep her cradled in my arms all night. If I didn't have to go to work the next day, I would have. 
but with my mind and body about to be thrust back into the real world, I needed all the rest I could get. She seemed to sense this and readied herself as I set her back on her feet. She looked relieved as she didn't start shaking, though she seemed reluctant to let me go. I'll get some wood for tonight, I offered, looking towards the woodpile next to the dwelling. I'll get our beds ready, she said, giving me an affectionate peck on the cheek before heading for the door. I remember my adolescent mind wondering just exactly what she was planning. In truth, I couldn't wait. Unfortunately, fate decided I would have to. And that's our story. So, we're getting towards the end of September 2020 as of the posting of this episode, and I'm starting to see some more responses to the job postings I've responded to. Even though I'm okay for now, I would feel a lot better if I had some income coming in that wasn't EI. I'm still optimistic that something will come through soon, since up here in Canada we're adjusting to the effects of the pandemic, and I think we're getting better. Writing this week involved more outlining and character development for A New Beginning, and I also have another project in the works, which is a continuation of an old Metamore City fanfiction I wrote years ago. It actually made it onto Chris Lester's podcast at the time, and, well, I kind of fell in love with the characters, and I wanted to see what else I could do with them. So now I have two story projects going through my head roughly at the same time. Once the remake of Outcast is finished, airing on this show, depending on how A New Beginning is shaping up at that time, I might tide you over with the fanfiction project. I do need to talk to Chris about it to see if it's okay to air, given that it's his world, and I just want to make sure that everything is a-okay on the copyright or legality side. I don't imagine he'll have much problem with it, but I'm going to err on the side of caution in this case. Anyway, so I think I'll leave it there for now. As always, thank you for tuning in. And if you'd like to leave some feedback, you can email me at outcastnovel at gmail.com or you can leave audio feedback via the SpeakPipe app on the show's website at kickit.yo5.ca. So until next time, take care of yourselves, take care of each other, and above all, have a good week. This is Chris, signing out. Have a good one. Thank you for listening to The Kick in the Cast, the audio blog of a wannabe podcast novelist. For more information, please visit the show's website at kickit.yo5.ca. And to leave any feedback, please feel free to drop an email at outcastnovel at gmail.com. Thank you for listening, and hope to see you next time.